0: This is the city.
1: Seattle, County of King, State of Washington. Seattle, USA. In all this wide, wide world, there's no other city quite like it. I'm Felix Bennell, and this is Downtown Stories from the Downtown Seattle Association. Downtown Stories is a podcast exploring the history of the Downtown Seattle Association. It's all about understanding the city where we live and finding out how it came to be one of the most dynamic downtowns anywhere. On this episode... In the final installment of the 60th Anniversary Series, we look forward to the downtown Seattle of the future. We speak with John Scholes, who's been President and CEO of the Downtown Seattle Association for the past five years. We also hear from developer and DSA board member Liz Dunn of Dunn & Hobbs, and Heidi Hughes, Executive Director of Friends of Waterfront Seattle. It was a sunny afternoon when I sat down with John Scholes at DSA-managed Westlake Park. Around us, locals and visitors enjoyed iced coffees and a place to sit at the many tables and benches. In the background, as busy people marched past, those distinctive Westlake fountains provided the steady and calming sound of falling water.
0: So thanks for joining us. Thanks, Felix. Where is it that we're sitting right now?
2: We're in Westlake Park in the middle of downtown. Seattle in the middle of our retail core, a plaza created in the 1980s that for a long time sat empty. And over the last four or five years, we have partnered with the city of Seattle to staff, program, this space, bring in lots of events and activities, create lots of reasons for people to be here. So we see kids on the playground, and we're setting up for a happy hour later this evening. Just people
0: sitting and reading, having a good time, playing ping pong, and it's perfect. It, I mean, Westlake Park wasn't like this when I was a kid or when I was a young man back in the 80s and stuff. It was, it was, was it just different? It's neat to see it activated this way and like a real diverse, eclectic mix of people and activities, and it's just. Feels perfectly natural. It's a nice yeah, I think we've
2: learned uh, quite a bit of around how to create great urban spaces. It really takes some intention. They don't happen by accident, and you have to staff and program them, keep them clean, keep them welcoming, create reasons for people to be there. And when you do that, and you flood those spaces with lots of lots of reoccurring activities and also spontaneous events, uh, the the people show up. They want to be in these types of urban spaces to connect and socialize and just experience the city. And, and be outside. So it's, uh, it's become a place that's welcoming for all, and whether you're from uh, around the world or around the corner, very nice. uh, you'll find folks here.
0: And you know, we've spent the last several episodes of this podcast learning about the history of downtown Seattle and then the history of how DSA and downtown Seattle interacted over the many decades to create the, I don't know, the very vital downtown that a lot of people, I think, take for granted now, which isn't necessarily a bad thing that people take things for granted. Um, in the conversation today, we want to not look at the past so much as look ahead a little bit. Yeah. Um, we're in the middle of all this unprecedented growth, unprecedented construction, development. All these things that you know, some people complain about. Some people know that it's it's pure it's gold. I mean, this is our these are good problems to have. I always contend these are, these are great things to wrestle with. And so, I mean, looking ahead in the immediate future, what's what's ahead for DSA to be thinking about and to be working on, and say like the like the one to two year horizon, like just right ahead.
2: Well, i just say broadly, the wind is really at our backs as far as um, the desire for the market to be in downtowns nationally. The market is really spoken, it's where people want to be, it's where we're seeing most of the job growth and investment in the center of our cities. They want to be in walkable places, that's where employees and uh, want to be and the companies are following and, the, and, and getting jobs in the heart of our city has been catalytic with so much of the other growth and so we've seen that obviously over the last couple of years in downtown and then we look forward over to the next one or two we're gonna have the viaduct down in just a few months Uh, so that whole section of the downtown waterfront is now free from that 1950s structure that was really loud and uh, intrusive and cut us off from the waterfront and so a few months from now the city will take over the the uh, de- development and construction of Alaskan Way and the Waterfront Park. And we'll have the first key piece of that park, Pier 62, where we used to have summer nights at the pier, the concert series. That will open at the end of this year and become a really flexible, dynamic space for recreation, yes, for music, for food, for games, for sitting in a chair and enjoying uh, the of the Sound and Elliott Bay. So we'll be partnering with Friends of Waterfront Seattle to manage and activate that space. That's one of the bigger infrastructure investments and bigger moves that we'll see really take shape over the next year or two in the downtown. The other, obviously, as we look towards Seattle Center is the development of the new arena. Uh, And I say new arena because it really is largely a new arena, absent the roof that's being saved, the rest of that facility essentially will be brand new. It'll be uh, world-class, top in the US uh, for entertainment, sports, venues, and uh, it'll be able to welcome a lot of events and entertainment that we haven't been able to have here because we haven't had uh, a facility of that quality. Certainly, the NHL is going to be incredible to have in Seattle, but I think it's important too to acknowledge and recognize the other types of events, uh, concerts, other sporting events that haven't come to Seattle that will now.
0: And I'm glad you mentioned the arena and the fact they did keep the roof. That's sort of a, I don't know, there's so much pressure these days on you know this whole notion of vanishing Seattle or this thing's being torn down this business has gone away and you, you know you reach a certain age there's sort of things just evolve. you can't necessarily keep everything but I think that visual striking reminder of the heritage of the World's Fair site that 1962 Seattle Center Coliseum living on in the new arena I think is is brilliant I'm really glad that ended up being part of the solution just from a, a loving history standpoint and especially the, the visual landscape that you, you look out of pictures from Seattle from 50 years ago, and there's the shape of that roof, and that shape will be there going into the future, which I think is very exciting.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's an iconic structure in our city, and that the, yeah. the structure in that form will be preserved, and it'll be a modernized facility, yeah. really world-class, uh, and a great experience. And it's not just the arena, but the surrounding exterior, the plaza, and the access that'll also be improved. I think some, sometimes that goes overlooked, but really your whole experience in approaching that building, will be very different.
0: And, and the way the Seattle Center Construction for the World's Fair, what's that, almost 60 years ago now, I'm mm-hmm. not doing my math very well, 57 years ago, yeah, practically yeah. 60 years ago, that was, that was all concentrated in that very relatively small area. And the things we're talking about today, almost, almost everywhere you turn, there's some major project. And, and you mentioned the waterfront, um, and that, I think, for most people's minds, that was a big construction project, the challenge of getting the tunnel finished. The challenge now of removing the viaduct and then sort of doing all the infrastructure changes. Like the way, amazing how the north portal of the um, Battery Street Tunnel—it's like it never existed. You drive by there, not—you'd have no idea it was there. Right. So that stuff's all very tangible. This notion of activating the waterfront and bringing Pier 61, Pier 62 back into the public sphere as a place where people do things—how does that mean? How does DSA help that conversation and help those actual changes and programs? I mean, what's What's that look like just on the ground?
2: Well, we're trying to take some of the lessons we've learned over the last couple of years in managing and activating staffing Westlake Park and Occidental Square and Pioneer Square, taking some of those lessons, best practices, and applying them in partnership with Friends of Waterfront Seattle at Pier 62. And it's a lot of experimenting. You know, let's try events, let's try fitness activities, let's try, uh, you know, kids programming, and try a bunch of different things and see what uh, the public responds to and, and continue to change it up and make it interesting. But then it's also important to have a series of regular things that people can count on that you can always come down and play ping pong in these parks and it doesn't matter the time of day, the month of the year, people are playing ping pong in these parks in downtown. It always blows my mind that in January you can come (laughs) down and watch people play ping pong outside.
0: And they're really Um, good too. Some of the people playing ping pong. Yeah, they're phenomenal. And
2: we see communities develop around these different activities. We have a chess community now in this park that people are coming from all parts of the city on a regular basis on a daily basis in some case to connect with people that they only know through playing chess in the middle of downtown in the middle of our city that's you know a, a good example of how these spaces are serving as connectors of people from all walks of life and so we're going to take some of these lessons apply them in partnership with Friends of Waterfront Seattle at Pier 62 i'm also excited about the recreation opportunities that that big space affords you know there's not a lot of places in our downtown today where you can kick a soccer ball or shoot a basketball. Uh, so we've got some opportunities there to bring recreation down to that space. It's a big flat uh, pier, it's you know an acre plus in size. So there's a lot of space there that can be programmed in different ways. And we think recreation in the urban environment is really important uh, for people to be able to connect, play games with others, get some fitness activity, not have to get in their car and drive out to some soccer field if they want to play soccer with their friends or their, their colleagues or their kids.
0: Yeah, and the fact it's over Elliott Bay with the Puget Sound in the background. Yeah, beat mountains. that
2: view, right? That's, and ice skating another, you know, activity and idea that we've contemplated with Friends of Waterfront Seattle. Oh, nice. You know, what about a, a winter ice rink, oh, that'd you great. know, hovering over Elliott Bay? I mean, what a great place to uh, have that activity.
1: We'll step away from our conversation with John Scholes for a moment here to learn more about what's ahead for downtown along Elliott Bay. This is Heidi Hughes, Executive Director of Friends of Waterfront
3: Seattle, describing what's next
1: now that the viaduct is gone.
3: So imagine 500 new street trees on the waterfront, um, restored piers, we haven't been able to do concerts on the waterfront in decades because the piers are in such poor structural condition that we couldn't drive stage trucks and host huge crowds. All of that is being rebuilt so that we can realize the opportunity, which is creating a beautiful park that will be a canvas for the whole city to bring its palette for recreational, cultural, and educational events. We have some terrific partners, including partner projects, the Seattle Aquarium's expansion, Pike Place Market. Its expansion is already complete, the market front. If you haven't had a beer up at at Old Stove, do it while they're knocking down the viaduct. It's pretty exciting. And of course the DSA. DSA has been a stalwart champion of the future of the waterfront. Um, With the help of the DSA and a lot of the downtown commercial property owners, we got a special taxing district that will help build the park. And then Friends, which is the nonprofit partner, will raise $110 million of the philanthropy to help construct the park, and then we'll also partner with the city to operate the public spaces. So through a joint delivery model with the Seattle Parks Department and Friends, and Friends brings in DSA as one of our great partners based on the work they're doing in Occidental Park and Westlake Park, we will program and activate the waterfront year-round. So it is a safe, inviting, inclusive space that will make our city more equitable, um, more um, attractive to um, workers. As we all know, in a knowledge economy, people can choose to live, to work where they want to live. And amenities like the waterfront are really important. So when we have highly amenitized um, urban public spaces, that's great for our employee recruitment, retention uh, across the city.
0: the people who, who did this back in, say, 1962 for the, for the World's Fair thought about it, but the fact that we're still enjoying large parts of Seattle Center almost 60 years later is pretty cool. I love the notion of people 100 years from now enjoying Pier 61, Pier 62, having no idea that there was a viaduct there and, and just taking it for granted. I, that's, you know, all, a lot of us now are living through these big construction projects and seeing it as sort of um, a puberty or sort of a coming of age of a, the next era of Seattle. Yeah. And then these multiple generations get to enjoy it which is i like I yeah love these the idea are 100 plus yeah. year That's
2: investments that we're we're making and i think cool. they're the right ones that really focus on designing our city and our downtown for people for their experience for walkability valuing public space areas for people to connect and socialize and recreate not designing everything around the vehicle as we did in the 1950s mm-hmm. in in uh, downtowns across the country But really, thinking about how do we design for people in those spaces that people naturally want to be in—they want to be in great urban, walkable, well-designed spaces.
0: Yeah. And and one of the next frontiers of that, um, which is also another potential big infrastructure project, is this notion of putting a lid over Interstate Five. So, and that's—would you consider that? Would you characterize that as being in its very early stages, or where are we in terms of that as a as a project? Yeah,
2: it's been contemplated for a number of years, but I think this is really the true. Uh, the, the, the time where we're really seriously studying it, so the city is now leading in partnership with some other organizations, we've been really supportive of this uh, feasibility study so we can understand the economics of how could you do this from a financial point of view, how would you pay for it, what's the value of the land that could be created that would help offset some of the costs to develop the actual structure, and then two, what, what's the structural feasibility of doing this over a freeway in a pretty complicated environment between two neighborhoods uh, and some major facilities and express lanes plus the main line and on and off ramps, how structurally could you do this? So the study's designed to answer those two questions, not necessarily come up with the best idea for what you might do on top of the lid, that'll come later, but just answer the questions, can we do this from a financial and a structural feasibility point of view? We think it's, it's the right, opportunity to be considering at this point in time, um, as we're you know moving forward with the waterfront and bringing that online, it's time to look forward to the next 10, 20 years of what's that next big move that we can create more public space, maybe uh, some more affordable housing, maybe public schools, community centers, more retail, um, hotels, office space. Um, how do we unlock some more land and repair uh, a pretty big gash in the downtown that was created when I-5 was built in the 1960s, uh, we, we, in some ways we have, you know, three kind of north-south gashes in the downtown that interrupt the experience. The viaduct was one of them. We're taking that down. I think Interstate 5 is certainly another.
1: We'll take a moment away from Westlake Park to hear from DSA board member Liz Dunn. She is a Seattle developer and member of the DSA board, who's closely involved with efforts to move forward on leading Interstate 5 through downtown.
4: The conversation about letting the freeway um, has been happening for decades, actually, ever since the freeway was built, because there was absolutely not consensus on trenching a freeway through Seattle um, when it was done. And the, and the federal highway officials basically prevailed over local sentiment and pushed it through. So um, this is not a new idea. And I always like to point that out, because a lot of people over the decades held various working groups and brainstorming groups. But right now, We are getting all kinds of real momentum on it, um, technically and economically, I would say. That is in part because um, people uh, see the possibilities, not just in terms of being able to heal what is a terrible scar, just a huge, nasty thing um, that bisects our downtown, but also because there's the potential um, to use... The new land that would be created for a myriad of uses. So one of the things that I love about working on this issue is it's a it's a win win because the freeway is horrible, so you can fix that, but the solution also offers huge public benefits, huge civic benefits, including housing. Um, all kinds of real estate development is possible, um, depending on how you uh, structure a lid over the freeway. And we are short of land for a number of um, civic and public needs, but uh, the affordable housing crisis is one that uh, I think has got people realizing that we're not just talking about a huge pretty park. We're actually talking about badly needed land in the heart of our employment center. And the design and planning around projects like this takes a really long time. And I think the DSA has been around long enough to understand how long it takes to bring these projects to fruition. So they're very wise about getting started early um, and keeping the momentum going over, you know, decades if necessary. Um, And I think without the DSA, I'm not Sure that those projects would have been able to achieve the same momentum, and you know which is why I joined the board um, I've always been pretty impressed by what they've managed to um, help the city get done and this is going to sound like a total plug for the dSA but I have to say city councils and mayors come and go, and I think the other thing that I really respect about the dSA is they provide a certain amount of continuity to our uh downtown progress, if you like.
0: The people who were in favor of removing the viaduct and reconnecting to the waterfront, it was really clear what, what that was all about. It, seemed, it, didn't, it didn't need to explain it very well to people who liked it. So it was like, oh yeah, of course, very obvious. So leading I-5 seems a little bit more tricky to explain or to sort of conceptualize, I think. I'm speaking personally right now, but also I think I'm speaking for other people as well. Um, and imagine. Is it more or less complicated than what happened on the waterfront in terms of the tunnel and the viaduct and everything? In terms of all the, the, I'm sure there's federal agencies involved because of the highway design and all these other things. And where is it?
2: Yeah, I think it's it's uh, at least as complicated, (laughs) if if not more. Um, Certainly, uh, boring one of the world's largest (laughs) tunnel under downtown (laughs) was pretty complicated, and then removing a sixty-plus-year-old structure that's up against buildings. Uh, in a really tight window uh, space wise has been complicated and there's had to be been lots of uh, public agencies including the Federal Highway Administration but yeah. Washed out certainly the city and the port and county that have had to work together to figure all that out so the idea of leading I-5 might be a little more involved a little more complicated particularly uh, given the condition of Interstate 5 and the importance of looking at a freeway that hasn't been um, uh, reinvested in for quite some time has some real significant seismic issues so that's another part uh, of this this challenge that the lid itself is not going to answer but we do need to be thoughtful about what is the next fifty years of interstate five look like we're not taking that down like we did the viaduct so there's a lot to answer around uh, the ship canal bridge and then the other uh, uh, elements of i5 as it passes through downtown and their their future from a maintenance and seismic point of view
0: interesting and now third avenue um, why is 3rd Avenue the way it is now? Why has it sort of become a, a, a corridor that needs the kind of attention you're talking about?
2: Well, it's the busiest bus street in North America. We can't find another street that carries more buses on a wow. per hour basis than 3rd Avenue, about oh. 300 an hour in the peak period. And those buses are really important to downtown. They're bringing tens of thousands of people into downtown every day, keeping lots of cars off the road, but it also creates an environment that's loud, The sidewalks are pretty narrow, they're crowded, it's not a great place. You know, if you're walking just up and down Third Avenue trying to get to retail or services, you're having to walk through a lot of people waiting for a bus. So we've added all this bus service over the last 15 years or so, which has had its impacts. And we haven't really had a clear design or vision for how that street should change for pedestrians. In the meantime, do we need better lighting? Do we need different areas for people to wait for buses? Do we need wider sidewalks? Do we need more landscaping? Uh, Do we need different kinds of buses that are quieter? Um, And as we extend light rail uh, in the region and uh, outside of the downtown and the lines serving downtown get connected up to Northgate in 2021 is really the next opportunity. Do we have now the ability to reduce the bus volumes on Third Avenue uh, and into downtown in general and to rethink kind of the character and the look and feel of that street? We think that opportunity Uh, presents itself and so we've developed four concepts for really remaking and reinvesting in that street Uh, universally people say they avoid it they don't like to walk across it they don't like to walk down it third and Pine for too long has been uh, not a great corner Uh, some of that is certainly the physical design uh, and just how the street is organized and the amount of space for pedestrians some of its public safety and policing some of its Lighting—it's—it's not one thing. It's all of that that creates a great experience. So we're trying to really address all those elements um, and be intentional about creating a street that works for transit, works for everybody else.
0: I think, if I remember my DSA history correctly, um, the merchants on Third Avenue—the fact they survived the bus tunnel construction in the early '80s was a real success story for for working together to keep people aware that businesses were open and that you could still get down there, even though the street was. You know, Cornelope for the cut and cover tunnel,
2: so. Yeah, it's, uh, that street has had lots of evolutions. And, yeah. and it used to be a much more walkable street with more retail, smaller scale retail, much more pedestrian oriented. Uh, and then, you know, we introduced cars to downtown and lots of them, and then the bus tunnel, which was a cut and cover tunnel, right. so pretty disruptive yeah. construction really impacted yeah. a lot of the retailers and other businesses on that street. Hmm. And we put, put a lot of the buses underground, but over time, as the downtown has grown, We've had to add a lot more buses on the surface. Uh, and now the, train, the tunnel is really oriented only to trains, so all the buses are on the surface. And the original intent of the, whole, of the bus tunnel was to try to get that impact off the surface streets uh, because rubber tire transit has an important purpose in bringing lots of people here in an efficient way, but it also has an impact on just the, the pedestrian experience in the downtown. So there's a balance there that we need to strike. And in some ways, we're out of balance now with 3rd Avenue.
4: Yeah,
0: interesting. I didn't know about that. That's, that's a cool project. Um, seems like, again, one of those projects that will be sort of quickly appreciated and taken for granted. You know, it's like if it's successful, it's like, oh, look how great it is. But, you know, no one will stand around, like, wondering who did it. It's one of these great things that DSA gets involved in. that becomes part of the balance and the fabric that just adds up to a really great downtown. Um, we talked about this, this next thing a little bit. This is looking more out, like, maybe 15 years in the future. And you mentioned this a little bit with the... Um, the new real estate that would be created over Interstate Five if there were a lid, but um, where will the new development be taking place in downtown 15 years from now? Well,
2: the great success we've had in attracting lots of jobs and companies and investment here in downtown, particularly over the last 15 years, when we look at Denny Triangle, a neighborhood that was, you know, largely surface parking lots and motels built for the World's Fair, and then South Lake Union, a neighborhood that has been many different things over the years, but more recently had been, uh, you know one-story industrial buildings and surface parking lots uh, and a little bit of retail. Um, that area is now largely filled in and there's not a lot of surface parking lots left and so we've, uh, are, are, we'll have soon maximize the capacity of that those neighborhoods for job growth and so we're asking the question of okay the city's comprehensive plan calls for additional job growth within the center city within our downtown where are we gonna put it and how are we gonna plan for it? Uh, is the zoning and the regulatory environment going to allow for it and then what? type of infrastructure, transit service, parks, schools, are we going to need to invest in and be thinking about um, before those jobs come, not after. And I think one of the most important things that's been done over the last 20 years in the downtown is really looking forward and being thoughtful about zoning the Denny Denny Triangle and Mm -hmm. South Lake Union and investing in those neighborhoods so we could be ready when companies were going to grow or relocate as Amazon did, but also as Facebook and Google and Apple and others uh, have and now have announced as well. So we need to be ready for the next 10 or 20 years of economic opportunity that we can welcome to our city uh, and into the downtown and looking south uh, around our stadiums and in the Soto area and how can we preserve the industrial (laughs) jobs and companies that do exist while welcoming potentially more housing and more jobs as well.
0: I mean it seems, it seems like the future is always about more density which makes the transportation more effective and more efficient and makes the whole thing work better so it's like it's just a matter of I think density is still sort of a sales job for a lot of people who've lived here for a long time they sort of they, they like density in concept but they don't quite when they when they're stuck in it they don't necessarily when they're stuck in they in their car anyway they don't quite see the value in it but I think it's I think it's a generational thing and over that next 10 20 years the density will just be more and more something that's just part yeah. of the and I like to
2: think about it as proximity I think that's ultimately what we're valuing is yeah. the idea of proximity yeah. where you your where you live where you work your grocery store childcare your school your park can be all in close proximity I think we mm-hmm. all desire that nobody wants to be stuck in their cars for two hours and not have options for they where they can get around and yeah. have all of that those activities disperse to the extent we can have proximity and and make it more walkable, have lots of different ways to get there. Uh, I think there's a a universal desire for that. And uh, people don't wanna be stuck in their cars two hours for their jobs, and then an hour to get their kid at childcare, and then uh, back home. Uh, We want that proximity and convenience. And and that's what investing in smart ways uh, gives us. And we're gonna be spending a couple billion dollars on the next phase of light rail uh, to serve the downtown and the city. Uh, particularly south of downtown and out to West Seattle. So we should be looking at how do we maximize that investment, those stations, and put some housing and jobs around them so people can uh, have access to that train and and really use it to make their lives easier.
0: Well, it's been an exciting 60 years or 61 years at this point so far for DSA and the the next 15, 20, 50 years look probably even more exciting for the people who will be here long after we're all gone. So um, thanks for talking with me. Thanks for being here on Downtown Seattle Stories.
2: Thanks, Felix. Thanks for helping us tell the story of the last 60 years and, and the next years to come.
1: You've been listening to John Scholes, president and CEO of the Downtown Seattle Association. We also heard from Heidi Hughes of Friends of Waterfront Seattle and developer Liz Dunn. They were my guests on Downtown Stories, a podcast from the DSA. I'm producer and host Felix Bennell. Thanks for joining us for Downtown Stories from the Downtown Seattle Association.
3: Things are swinging in Seattle.